Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. If you're new here with us, you can ask a question by submitting it to the comment section wherever you're watching this from. Uh, just put the word question in front of your comment, then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. Our first question today comes from Jari, and uh, Jari had uh, left this on our YouTube channel. I often tell you guys uh, that if you have any any questions that you would like to submit, maybe for the start of a Q&A, that you can go to any video on YouTube, click on it, and leave a comment with the quest, word question in front of it. Um, eventually, I get them all. I take a look at them. And uh, I can get your question there. That's exactly what Jari did. He went on a one of our videos and he asked this question. He said, question, too long for YouTube. God gives us the desires of our heart. Yet, uh, I got to make sure I can read this. It's a little bit small. God gives us the desires of our heart. Um, yet we shouldn't seek the self-help Jesus to make a life better or uh, better, correct? All right, so let's just start there. So we're gonna end up talking about occupations. Uh, this is a question about the kind of things that we do. And so the first thing that, that Jari says, and Jari, I see on here, hello, we're answering one of your questions. Um, so the first thing that Jari says is uh, that we shouldn't seek the self-help Jesus, that, but that God gives us the desires of our heart. And I just wanna make sure we're on the same page as we start. So if we Delight in the Lord, God gives us the desires of our heart. And we assume that because we're delighting in our Lord, they're delighting in the Lord, they're desires that God wants to bring us. So they're going to be desires that we have because God's giving us the desires of our heart. The New Testament version of that is uh, abide in him and let his word abide in you and whatever you desire, it will be done for you. So again, your desires change as you seek God. So first of all, Jari, when we're talking about God's going to give us the desires of our heart, but we're not going to want to seek the self-help Jesus. It really comes down to what the Christian life is really all about. Did I invite Jesus into my life so he could make my life better? Or did I invite Jesus into my life because he's God? He created me. He knows me. And I want to surrender to him. And I want to serve him, love him. The wrath of God will be on me if I don't but I love him and I wanna serve him and I wanna give my life to him. And therefore I wanna do what he wants me to do. The, the saying that I have is, if God doesn't want it for me, I don't want it even if I want it. So it comes down to, you know, Jesus, Jesus has improved my life greatly, greatly, and, and I believe that. But like Job said, though he slay me, I'll serve him. If he asks me to do something that I don't wanna do, I'll serve him because he's my Lord. And that means that I'll follow him no matter what he says. The teaching of the self-help Jesus is invite Jesus into your life and he's gonna make everything easy. He's gonna make everything better for you. Your life is gonna be so good. Uh, you won't believe how good it is. And then people commit their lives to Jesus. And yes, Jesus improves their lives, but maybe not in the way they want because they're delighting in the world or they're delighting in the flesh. And so they have desires for the world, that desires for the flesh. So God gives them direction, but they don't want to do it because their desires are wrong. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us, us the desires of our heart. So yes, um, we don't want to teach the false self-help Jesus. Now, Jesus said, come unto me if you're heavy laden and I'll give you rest. If you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. So he does help us out. I'm just talking about this overall teaching that often comes from pulpits. That's a motivational kind of message that Jesus will come in your life and make you better. God is my co-pilot kind of a thinking rather than I am surrendered to God and I will do whatever he wants me to do. So then Jari goes on to say, but my question is what about a job, career, etc.? If a person loves to play the piano, God is going to give the a person a career or a hobby to use that gift, and instead of playing the piano to God's, uh, to give a gift to play the piano according to God's glory, God is not going to give him something to get stuck at a job that he dislikes with coworkers that he doesn't like. All right, so he, yeah, so God. Years ago, I went to Bulgaria. And I, I met a, a gal there who had been a prodigy as a child playing the violin, but she'd come to Christ and she had given that up. 
And I tried to make sense of it because she filled concert halls playing the violin. And I tried to make sense of her giving up playing up the violin. And she said that she felt that she was to serve God, not play the violin. And I said, well, maybe you could serve God by playing the violin. And she said, no, I have to surrender myself to God. Now, remember, Bulgaria, there's a lot of persecution in Bulgaria. She, this was back in the, um, the late 80s when the, uh, when the Iron Curtain had just come down. Bulgaria was under USSR. In fact, the headquarters for the KGB were in Sofia, Bulgaria, where we were. And she had given that up as a gift unto God. And she was now guiding, which was something that she didn't hate. She was working as a guide to help people when they come in to be able to be an interpreter. She was an interpreter at that point, but, but she was giving her life completely and totally to Christ. So sometimes God may ask us to give up something that we're gifted in, something that we're good at for his sake, something we might enjoy for his sake. Jesus said, anyone who wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. So you may be very gifted in an area that God goes, that's not an area that I want for you. And he may ask you to do something else. Now, whatever job you have and finding what job you want is your choice to a degree, unless you feel like God's told you to stay in that job. So we've been given choice and, and I believe we've been given freedom. So we can make choices. We have, we, have, we have freedom of choice. We are not determined by God to do everything. God in his sovereignty is going to bring certain things to pass in our lives. He will do that. There's nothing I can do about it. But God has given me a lot of choice. And I can choose between one job or another job. I can choose between one car or another car. I don't have to drive around in a car I don't like unless I feel like God has said, don't uh, or make, don't sell that car. I don't have to be in a job I don't like unless I feel like God has said, be in this job to glorify my name. So the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So occupations are like that. We get to choose, but God will direct us sometimes to that exact one he wants. We, we might not know what occupation God wants, and it might be that God allows us any occupation to that we would want to do. <clears throat> but sometimes God, in his, in his desire for us to surrender and to sacrifice, sends us to do things for him that are a sacrifice. But remember, a sacrifice accomplishes something. So if you're at a place that you don't like with people you don't like, and God's having you stay there, that you're there for a reason. And if you're there to shine the light and to represent Christ and to glorify God, then it doesn't matter whether or not you want to be there. You want to be there for him. Now, if, if, if someone doesn't care what God thinks, then this isn't going to be an issue in their lives. But we're getting right down to Christian living now. Have I invited Christ into my heart to make it better so I can get him to give me what I want? You see, the giant vending machine in the sky, the God of the of the prosperity movement. I'm going to get whatever I want. I get whatever I because I'm a I'm a billionaire because God I'm a God's kid. Of course I'm a billionaire. Now, those kind of statements. All of that is so foreign to what the Bible teaches about following Jesus. Picking up your cross and following him. And so then you say what are your thoughts on the desires of the heart regarding occupation and gifts and talents right or wrong things. So I think I kind of explained that um, unless one has a desire to be a drug dealer. Right, right, right. I could, I could say God gives us freedom of choice to be able to do any job we want to do, except if it's immoral and if it's wrong. If it's wrong, if it's immoral, then we know we're not going to do that. So that's right on right on the nose, Jari. All right. But other other than that, we can, uh, other than that, we can, we, we, we do what we, what we really feel God wants us to do, and we're really driven by it. And we don't follow Jesus to get whatever we can get. That's coming in the future when, when we are in, in glory with him. But right now, and we'll serve him then too, but we're serving him now, doing whatever it is that he wants us to do. All right. And Jari, you're welcome for a follow-up uh, if you would like to uh, on that. All right. But uh, thank you for the question. Thank you for going to uh, YouTube and writing that in so we could start off this uh, particular Q&A with that. Good to see you guys here. Good to see you, Keith. Uh, really enjoy working with you and um, all of you who are here. Uh, Daniel uh, McCullough, Daniel, uh, good to see you, says, um, how should non-pastors see um, Bema seat rewards compared to more spiritual 
professions such as pastor, elder, etc. We will be treated equally, shine like the stars forever. Daniel 12.3. Yeah, so I think that God's not going to see that distinction. I don't think God's going to be like, oh, you're a pastor. Well, you're going to get more rewards. Oh, you're not a pastor. You're not going to get more rewards. I think we're all going to be treated the same there. It's, it's based on what were my motives as a pastor and what are, are, are the motives of someone else who's using another, who's using something God has given them to be able to glorify God with that or is glorifying God with their lives. So that someone who's barely done anything for God, if everything they did was out of the right heart and the right motive, then they're going to receive rewards for everything. But someone who does a bunch of things for God, but it's really done for himself, they'll be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. So I don't think what you do as a profession matters. Before I became a pastor, I had I had an auto upholstery shop. And I was a youth pastor at the time, but I had but what I did for a living was run up an auto upholstery shop. I did auto upholstery myself. I had other trimmers who worked for me. Um, it was it was a small business. And that's what I did. What I did for for God then didn't 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 get put into these sex, uh, these separate different areas. Well, one of them is a youth pastor, and one of them as a, a manager of a small business. I don't think that God separated it out that way. What I did, I did for Him, and whether or not I get a reward for that depends on what that motive is. All right, Daniel, thank you very much. I think sometimes sometimes people have a desire to be in a spiritual position because they think there are gonna be more rewards for that. And I think that's a mistake. It certainly is a privilege to be a pastor, but you're co-laboring together with Christ and everything you do should be done for his glory. Um, But it is a privilege to do anything that we get to do for the Lord. All right, so thank you. Um, No, I don't think, I, I think even, it may even be, when you think about it, Daniel, Jesus said, whatever you do, and you do it in front of men, then you've received your reward. So it may be that that more visible positions, like mine, a pastor, may receive less rewards than someone who's in a less visible position. And that would really be that really be something if that was the case, wouldn't it? And I do think it is. I think that we we do things not to be seen, but we do things to give glory to God. Jesus said, when you do your good works, do them in such a way that when men see your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, so thank you, Daniel, for your question. I appreciate that. As always, if you have a follow-up on that, if I didn't make something really clear, uh, I didn't go down the direction you wanted me to go, then then just clarify that, ask a follow-up. All right, Daniel, good to see you, by the way. And uh, I enjoy working with you too. So Annika says, question, can you explain how Ephraim and Manasseh affected the 12 tribes of Israel? Who was no longer considered part of the 12 tribes? Was there something they did that made them get replaced? Yes, thank you, Annika. I appreciate your question. Um, and a good question, by the way. So when you go and you read the, the a list of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's always 12 of them that are listed. Very early on, Dan is listed with them. But then later on, Dan is no longer listed. The tribe of Dan is no longer listed, but instead Ephraim and Manasseh, who are two sons of Joseph. So Joseph got a double portion and got two tribes, and then Dan seems to be not listed among them. I was thinking about that. There's a list of, uh, in Daniel's, in Revelation 7, there's a list of uh, the tribes, the, the 12,000 from each of the tribes, and I'm just interested in whether or not they are listed in that tribe. So they've got tribe of Judah, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, uh, Levi, Ishkar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. So here we have a tribe of Joseph listed and a tribe of, of Manasseh, but no Ephraim and no Dan. Okay, so Dan is, is the tribe that is left out most often when these other tribes are, are when these other tribes are put in, a Manasseh and and Ephraim, who are two sons of Joseph. So what did they do? Well, when you get to the end of the book of Judges, you read this very ugly section. It's probably, besides Genesis 32, it's probably one of the most difficult areas in the Bible to read. 
because it's just people seeking their own way and doing their own things. They co-opt a priest by the name of Jonathan and Dan doesn't like the land that they're in. So they attack one of the tribes of Israel and they take the land that they had and they move into it. It's the time of the judges and it's a time when men are doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And the tribe of Dan takes the area of Lachish, I think it is. And today, if you go to Israel, you will go to someplace called Tel Dan. And there's a gate from the days of Abraham that's there that Abraham would have walked through. There's also, um, let's see, uh, Jero, uh, uh, Rehoboam and, and oh, Jeroboam. It's, it, there's the altar that Jeroboam built in Dan and put the golden cow on that people wouldn't go to Jerusalem. You can actually go and see that altar. This is children of Solomon that you can actually go see the evidence for the children of Solomon being there. It was there that they found the Dan stone, which has uh, a reference to the house of David on it. In the ninth century BC, David lived a thousand BC. So this is 900 years BC. So just a hundred years after he was born, we have the house of David being mentioned or our hundred years after David, we have the house of David being mentioned. All of that's in this region called Tel Dan. That's the area that they took that Dan took ended up staying there. And it seems like God has left Dan out in certain ones by and, and doubling down on other ones. Now, Dan uh, ends up being redeemed with Daniel, who's such a great prophet and such a great man of God, that now the name Dan is awesome, even though the tribe of Dan wasn't that awesome. And I think that is the reason why they got left out. All right, Annika, great question and great observation, by the way. Um, but yeah, it's a good question. Uh, if you really want to get depressed, go read the last, I don't know, two chapters, three chapters in the book of Judges, and you see these people doing all these horrible, awful things. And um, it just speaks of, of how when man lives apart from God doing what he wants to do, the kind of places that he goes. And the Bible's brutally honest about the people that are in the scriptures. So we have a, a question from Requia. Requia says, and good to see you, Requia, is it normal to feel frustrated with what to trust God with? The rapture, question mark. Um, both sides use the same scriptures to support their argument. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, making it difficult to discern. Is it normal to feel frustrated with what to trust God with? So you're saying that there are people that, and you may want to give me some clarification here, Require. but what you're saying is, I think, is there are people that say that the rapture of the church is pre-trib and some that say it's post-trib and both use the same passage. Is, is that what you're saying? And it's difficult to determine what to trust God with. And if I'm reading this right, um, both sides use the same scriptures to support the argument. So I think I'm reading it. I think I'm reading it right. Um, no, require, well, maybe, maybe it's, it is normal to feel frustrated with that. Uh, but what I found is that I, I want to go and study a passage, and it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. It's a matter of you finding out what God meant when he wrote it. And so I'm looking at 1 Thessalonians 4.16. I'm going to go ahead and bring that up on the screen for you here. Let me get there. 4.16. Both sides use them, 16 and 17. Okay, so here we go. Yeah. All right, so let me go ahead and put this up on the screen, Wakaya, and we'll see if we can kind of figure out your question, and maybe you can give me some clarification on this. Um, but here it says, where's my, there they are. Okay, all right, so here it says, this is uh, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, so, um, I, I maybe, maybe I'm just too close to this passage because I've read it so much and I can only see it one way, but I can't see how this passage could be used to, to be some, to be, to prove post-trib. In fact, I don't know that the passage itself proves pre-trib. I think it just makes a statement about the rapture of the church. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. All Paul's saying here is that there's something in the future that's going to happen. Now we know that this event is, we know this event is the resurrection of those in Christ, and that the rapture 
is a smaller event or the gathering together is a smaller event that takes place during the resurrection. So when the resurrection takes place is a matter of debate. But this is not. And this is why when people when people put on the any of our our social media statements like there's no rapture. I, I, I'm taking to just say yes, there is because that's that's, you know, playground style. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Rather than really coming back and looking at it. And the idea that the word isn't in the Bible, therefore, it's not true. The, the word Bible isn't in the Bible but it's true, but it's, 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 it, we've got the Bible. Um, so I want to go back and read this all in context, but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep. So that's concerning those who have died. They seem to have been troubled that those who have died are going to miss out somehow on something. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Like maybe they don't make it into heaven. You're sorrowing as others who have no hope. Somebody has gotten something really messed up for these Thessalonians and Paul's correcting it. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that's, we believe that's uh, resulting in salvation, even God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So when he returns to gather us together for him, we're going to meet with him. Notice this event doesn't take place on the earth. It takes place in the clouds. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. So now this is called the coming of the Lord. Uh, he will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, what a sh shout must sound like when God does it, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the voice of archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection. And, and Christ is Messiah. So is this just the church? Is this all the saints of all time? I have a, t I have a tendency to lean towards all the saints of all time are resurrected at this point. There'll be another part of the first resurrection at the end of the tribulation period when all of those who have died during the tribulation period will be resurrected. It says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. So this has to happen when, when in near the end of time when we are going to go and be with him. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So all of us can agree there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be people alive. Uh, in all of our creeds, there's a statement that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He's going to come back to this earth while there's still live people on this earth. If you teach anything different than that, then you break away from historical uh, Christianity. And um, the, the other passage that's used uh, to talk about this resurrection rapture is someone told me they, I should call it the resurrapture the resurrapture, which I like uh, because it reminds me of Jurassic Park. Um, but I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me see where if I can find where this is at here. Um, let me see. It's a little bit later on than that. Let me get here to it. Um, I can't seem to find it, but it, um, let me just go on here a little bit further. Um, okay, here we go. All right, let me put this on the screen for you. I'm glad it took just a little bit of time to find it. So this is 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking about the resurrection because there are people in the in the church in Corinth who are saying there is no resurrection, like the Sadducees. They don't believe there's a resurrection. And Paul's saying, if there's no resurrection, then Christ didn't raise from the dead and we are lost in our sins. And then he says this, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So God's not going to take us up into heaven like we are now, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Not all sleep is all die. We're going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, same event as first Thessalonians, um, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So those who will precede us are going to be raised first, just like this, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, uncorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when corruptible has put on incorruptible, and mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So neither of those tell us when this resurrection rapture is going to take place. So I would not use that. I would use it as a proof text for a rapture, 
or the gathering, which 2 Thessalonians refers to this gathering, this rapture as a gathering. So uh, I would use it for that. But for those who say there is no rapture, well, I, I can't see how that's used. And I can't see how anybody would use this to say this is happening after the tribulation period instead of before it. They use other passages for that requirement. So if you have clarification on that, I really would appreciate that. And maybe we can get some others. But um, I don't think you should feel frustrated on it at all. I think you should, and I understand why you would, but I think you should be seeking the truth of it. It's just something that you put in your mind, you work through slowly. A lot of times I've got to think things through for a while before I really come to a determination of what it is. I don't have to know everything right now. I can take time to learn what the truth is, study the scriptures, find more information, listen to both sides, weigh it in a balance, and come to a decision. And sometimes I still come to, and I don't know, people will be really emphatic about something, and I'll be like, hmm, I don't know. And I think that's okay. Remember, the secret things belong to God, and the revealed things belong to us, so there's some things we just do not know. All right, Require, thank you very much for your question. I really appreciate that. Uh, good to see you, Psych Man, as well, Kay. Um, good to see you. Uh, let's see. Um, all right, let's see. We have a um, follow-up from Jari. All right, I'm, I take it on the, um, yeah, follow-up. What does it mean it's God's will to conceal a matter, but for kings to search it out? Is this our gifts and talents? Um, so I, I'm not, I would look at, I'd love to look up that reference. Um, what does it mean it's God's will to conceal a matter, but kings to search it out? Um uh, so I'm just going to kind of take it at, at face value, Jari, for it's God's will to conceal a matter, meaning that God does his will. God does what he wants to do um, always, right? Because he's God and he's, he's all powerful. So God does what God wants to do, which means God created me, which means God wanted to give me freedom of choice, which means that God wanted me to come to him and he wanted to gift me and use me despite myself. So that's God's will. It's a matter of a king to search it out. Well, you know, when you're in leadership, then you search out as much as you can. And a good king would be searching out as much as he possibly can to find out what's right, even those things that God may have concealed, really trying to find them out. And I think that this would be a good leadership issue, Jari, that if you're in leadership, you're looking to find out what it is that God is trying to deal with, all right? So um, that's what I think. Uh, and I would love to get the reference of that and, uh, and look it up. All right, so follow up on Dan's. Uh, Psych Man says, um, do you think God rewards those on earth more abundantly than those with great rewards um, waiting in heaven? Do you think God, okay, follow up on Dan's. So do you think God rewards those on earth more abundantly than with the great rewards waiting in heaven? So I think I know what you're asking. Psych Man, I think you're asking, does God reward some people here and then other people with more rewards in heaven. And I think the answer to that is yes, God does give rewards here. Jesus said no one has given up family or home or anything and doesn't receive a hundred more times here and in the kingdom to come. So I think the rewards take uh, place in both places. I don't know that we have anything in the Bible which tells us why God would choose to reward someone here or reward them in heaven. Um, you're welcome, Daniel, I appreciate that. Uh, so we have a question from Dan. Dan, sorry to pick on your name there, talking about the tribe of Dan. Uh, Dan says, um, you go to church, question, you go to church, you love hearing the stories, but still don't believe. What do you do? All right, Dan, I think that's a, um, that's a great question. Um, and, and I tell you what I would love to do is I would love to just have a one-on-one -on -one session with you for a little while and ask you a few more questions to find out. So you go to church, you love hearing the stories, but you don't believe. So what don't you believe? Do you not believe in God? Do you not believe that God exists? Do you not believe you should follow what he says? Do you not believe what he says? Do you believe in God, but don't believe in what he says? So you see how this could go so many different directions? 
So I'm, I'm going to have to just kind of take a guess here on what you're saying. I'm just going to go in the most general sense that you've got here. Uh, you go to church, you love hearing the stories, but you don't believe. So I'm just going to take it. You're not a Christian. You don't want to be a Christian. You don't want to follow him. You don't believe. What do you do? Uh, I, I want to give you a couple of suggestions what you do. And that is you find out whether or not it's true. You you do the work of of studying to see whether or not there's any validity on the things that are out there. And when people are often at a place, and I don't know where you are as far as your, your knowledge goes in the evidence for the Bible, but I would suggest uh, Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Faith. It's, it's basic on the evidences for the scripture. When you want to get a little bit more involved in it, then evidence that demands a verdict by um, Josh McDowell and the revised edition with Sean McDowell, uh, that's going to give you to dive in a little bit further. But if you are just saying, I don't believe, I don't have the heart to believe, I don't want to do what God wants me to do, I just don't want to follow through, I kind of believe God's there, but I want to do my own thing, that's a completely different issue. If you're saying, I just don't believe it's true, then it's time to look at the evidence because God hasn't given us, is not asking us to make a leap into the darkness. A lot of people can do that. A lot of people just hear about God, hear about his life on the cross, surrender themselves to him, and they believe in him immediately. God has put the knowledge of him in our hearts, and sometimes we just move to it quickly. Other times, you got to search it out. You need to look for the evidence and, and see whether or not it's true. And Lee Strobel was a journalist, I think, with the Chicago Tribune. His wife got saved and annoyed him, and so he went out to disprove Christianity and ended up finding evidence for it. He went in, in interviewing, do what journalists do. He went interviewing different people, and he found evidence for the gospel and ended up being a believer based on that. So I'm just going to take it that way. Now, if you, if, it, if it's another way, and maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone else, but if it's another way where someone believes in God, believes in the existence of God, believes the scriptures are true, but doesn't want to follow him, then gosh, I have a whole another set of, of, of questions to go on with that. So, um, uh, Rakwaya, we have another question from Rakwaya. We're going to take this one. We normally don't take the same person twice, Rakwaya, but we're going to do it today. Um, with suspicions of infidelity, physical abuse, pre-divorce, and confirmation of infidelity, past divorce, go against God. Would a survivor of abuse still need to remain single or be reconciled? All right, so if I'm understanding your question right, Rakwaya, um, so there's a suspicion of infidelity and physical and divorce and physical abuse. So then there was a confirmation of infidelity post-divorce. So you divorced him because of, of uh, suspicion of infidelity and physical abuse. That's what I'm getting from that. So, and, and at that point, you're willing to say, look, I'll remain single if, um, if, if he in fact wasn't unfaithful to me. Uh, or I'll be reconciled to him if that's what God wants. But then you find out that he was, that there was infidelity after you were divorced. So would the survivor of abuse still need to remain single or be reconciled? Again, Rakwaya, I would love to be able to ask just a handful of questions here that I think would help to clarify. But I'll try to clarify as I give my answer. If the, the victim of the abused finds out that they did have infidelities, then they broke the marriage. That's the idea. They are the ones who broke the marriage. And now you are free to remarry because they broke the marriage. A lot of times, and, and let's just say that the, the, the abuser ended up getting remarried. Then you would be free to remarry as well because he ended up breaking the relationship and there can be no reconciliation. And a lot of times, well, I, I've heard it said when I tell someone, listen, just leave him and you've got to remain single or be reconciled to him. And then she says, yeah, but if I leave him, I know he'll get another girl. I know he'll get it. And then I, can, then I can remarry. And I'm like, that's fine. And it's fine for you to know that just as long as you're not manipulating God. Just as long as you're not saying, I'm going to pretend like it's abuse, leave him. He's going to get another girlfriend, have sex with him, and then I'm going to be free and be able to remarry. You know, the Bible says God is not mocked. Whatever a man asks that he will, I mean, whatever a man God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. And so you can't mock God in that way. Just be honest. 
and if abuse is taking place and you can't be in that relationship anymore and a separation is warranted, and there are other reasons besides physical abuse that would warrant a separation. There, there might be drug, drug uh, there might be addiction and addiction behavior, which can be really bad. Uh, there, there may be abuse towards the kids that needs to be, you need to, get, you need to get the kids out of there, so on and so forth. So there could be different reasons. But a good question, Rakhwaya, and again, a, a follow-up on that question, if you have one, um, that would help me to clarify it, whether or not I answered that properly. All right? So again, good to see you guys here uh, and joining us. Uh, looking like we've got mostly YouTube here with us today. Um, I don't know if Facebook is up and working or whether I'm not getting, I'm not getting those. So that might be the case. So if you're on YouTube and you're submitting a question, all I'm seeing in front of me is Facebook. Um, we're going to be looking at using a different vehicle to take a look at, to, to bring in the questions all into one place. So we use a vehicle that takes all the questions from YouTube and and I, we were even up on, on Twitter and, um, and Facebook and bring them all together. And it seems like they made a change a while back and it's just not working well. And we're mostly getting people from YouTube now and we maybe get a few from Facebook, but not many. All right, follow up on my Rapture question. All right, so this is Requiet um, with, a, with a follow up. Follow up on Rapture question, I suppose I misread or misunderstood something. The book of Revelation that made me think the trumpet calls occur in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Okay, good. Let's take a look at that. All right. So, yeah, you just put down the wrong reference. All right. So let me go ahead and pull up Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Let's take a look what that is. All right. Let's take a look at this. Require. It says, um, now I saw in heaven opened, and behold, um, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes wars. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head were the many crowns, and he who had name written on it, no one except himself. He was clothed with, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white linen, followed him uh, on white horses. All right, so let me just go back and see where the reference ended, verse 16. So let me go a little bit further then here. Now out of his mouth goes a sword. With uh, with it, he should strike the nations with himself and roll the nations. He himself with the winepress, the fierce wrath of God and his anger. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so that's the basic, that's the return of Christ. That's when Jesus is coming back at the end of the tribulation period. And he actually and he actually returns to the Lord. And the difference between the difference between the return of Christ and the rapture of the church for me is that the rapture takes place in the air, and Jesus returns to the earth and puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and it splits and all of those things happen. So you've got the actual return of Christ. So again, require I'm sorry. Um, and, and it could be me, right? I mean, I could just be not understanding where the struggle over the evidence that's been given by two people, the same evidence with it. All right. And if you could clarify that for me, that would be great. Um, I, I, I was just trying to think whether there's any evidence that someone will use for both sides for the rapture of the church being pre-trib or something else, mid or, or post. And, um, I can't think of I can't think of a passage that both people would use. Maybe at the end of Matthew 24, when the angels go out and gather the people from the four corners of the earth when Jesus returns, and some uh, call that a second rapture, um, but I, I don't see it as a second rapture. I see it as him gathering together Israel to meet him back on the earth, not in the air, to forever be with the Lord. So um, not, not quite sure, okay? Um, but again, it, I just mean maybe me not understanding, all right? But I do appreciate your question and your follow-up as well. All right, so if you're joining us here for the first time, really glad to have you here. Hope that you are blessed by the time that you spend here. If you have a question, you can write the word question and then 
write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and add the reference in if you would please. Oftentimes it helps to be able to go to the reference and read it uh, just to be able to see exactly what it's saying. I could put it up on the screen and um, we can read what's here. All right, so we have a question from Daru. Uh, Daru says, question, uh, hi pastor, hi Daru, how are you? Uh, do you think the gathering would be a public thing or a quiet situation? So if we're talking about um, the gathering, I'll show you where I get that reference from and why I think it should be called the gathering, and that is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm just going to go ahead and bring that up on the screen as well, and I'll read it to you. It says here, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. May I have the right place? Yeah. Um, but even after we have suffered before, and were spitefully treated. Well, this is not the right section. Where, where am I at? I don't want I'm in 1 Thessalonians. Let me go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. There we go. All right. So, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that's the return of Jesus, and our gathering to him. So, this is whenever, again, this, I don't know if this is saying right here when the gathering is going to take place, but there's a gathering to him. Um, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled in spirit, or by word, or by letter from us, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So some were telling them that they were already in the rapture. And 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 Paul saying, don't be deceived by as if it's letters from us or anything, because you guys think you're in the rapture. He says, no one, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. This is either the apostasy of the church, which the Bible talks about an apostasy from faith in the last days, or the falling away is a reference to the gathering or the rapture. That's got to happen first. The only thing that has to happen first here is the, the falling away. And then it says, and the man of sin is revealed. So at the very beginning of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is revealed. So that if you are in the tribulation period, then you're going to see the Antichrist. That's why people who say today, well, we're in the middle of the tribulation period. Well, we're, the man of sin will be revealed. Where, where is he at? And if you haven't found him, then then where's he at? So um, the gathering, would it be a public thing or a quiet situation? Um, there's a lot that we don't know. It may well be that it's public. It may be quiet. We Remember, the, the, everything is going to come unglued about the time of the rapture of the church. I mean, everything. The, the tribulation period doesn't start with a whimper and end with a, you know, a scream. It starts with a cry and ends with a, with a really loud scream. It gets worse. Everybody agrees with that, but it starts off really bad. And so um, I believe that when the rapture happens, things are going to be crazy and there's going to be all kinds of things happening. I think the world is going to be coming unglued and there's going to be all kinds of suspicions and many, many people are going to get saved during the, the, the tribulation period. Many, many Christians are going to get, are, are many people that give their lives to Christ after the rapture of the church are going to end up being saved. And so it's, it's a time that is so chaotic and crazy um, that I don't know. You can't miss millions of people disappearing, disappearing, hundreds of millions of people disappearing. You can't miss it. So in that sense, it's going to be public. People are going to know they were missing. Whether or not they see something, or clothes are left behind, those kind of things, I don't know. Those are, are, are speculation. And um, I like to try to stay out of the business of speculation when I can. All right. But um, I do appreciate uh, that question, Daru. Um, but you, there's no way you're going to be able to hide millions of people coming up missing. You just can't do it. And, I, and many people will commit their lives uh, to the Lord. And... Um, uh, Kay, just thinking about your question, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my defense uh, on the rapture if you want it. Um, so if you are, are looking for evidence of why I believe that it is a pre-tribulation rapture, I'll, I'll, I'll go into that. I'll cover that. I'm just not going to bounce off into it now unless you want it. All right. But if you want it, I can give it to you. Or was that Require? Who was it who had the question about? Maybe it was Require. Um, yeah, it was Require. So Require, I'll give you my, the evidences that I believe are pre-trib, and um, I am so pre-trib that I don't eat post-toasties, and that I stole from Charles Swindoll, all right? I am, I am 
as confident as you can be. My confidence doesn't make it right, but I am as confident as I can be that he is coming back for his saints before the tribulation period. And if you guys want to know, all you got to do is ask, and I'll tell you why I'm so confident. All right. So um, I, there's a follow-up here. Proverbs 22.5 is the reference concerning the matter coming um, coming from a Pentecostal background. We are the kings because we are God's children. True? Um, yes, we are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. So royal, kingly. Uh, yes. And um, let me look it up, though. Proverbs 25.2. Um So and, and 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 here, I want to I want to be careful how I I do this because there is a there's a sense I've shared with you before, Jari. Uh, there's a sense by which I really enjoyed my time in the Pentecostal churches that I was there because there was that sense of anticipation and expectation that God was going to move, and I love that. But there was also a sense that I I ended up having to leave, and I'm not saying you should leave. I'm not saying anybody should leave. I'm saying I had to end up leaving. And part of it was the mishandling or maybe the misappropriating of scripture. So it's not necessarily the, the a false teaching that was being taught, although I think there were some of this, there was some of that, but it's the way that everything was turned into something that was incredibly personal. Like er everything is about me from this is the Pentecostal church that I was in. Okay. Everything was about me from the pulpit. And I just found that to be problematic because probably very little of what's written in the Bible is really about me. Um, although you can apply things, but that you just are constantly looking for something to be applied to you, I think can be, can be problematic. Now saying that, I mean, here Proverbs is right. It's a book of wisdom for all of us. We want to be wise. Um, but the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of a king is to search out a matter. Um, so uh, obviously, the, when you're when you're looking at who was this written to, how would they have taken it? They were they they did not know that they were a kingdom of priests. They didn't know that they were a royal priesthood. Uh, they were following kings. How would they have read it? Someone that it was written to in their day. The, uh, the, the glory, uh, um, to, uh, let's see, let's get there again. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of a king is to search out a matter. So how they would have read that is that someone that's in a position of leadership, like a king, especially a king, would be to search out a matter. You take being a king seriously. Um, now, can this be applied to us? Sure. It's better to find something that really applies to us and then to tag this onto instead of just trying to say everything that was written about a king in the old testament applies to me as a king now because i'm a i'm 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 royalty with jesus and i and i that's a leap that i don't think that you can make jari personally that's a leap i'm not comfortable making let me put it that way that I want to be careful in the way that I apply it. And today, I'm telling you, there's so many churches that just turn everything, something that's got a really powerful point that glorifies God is now about you and where you're at and God for you and you, your, you know, your love for God and your intensity. It's all about, it turns into, you know, you're such a, God loves you and God's done this for you and it's you and you and you, when really the Bible is not about you. It's not about me, but it's about God. And God has redeemed me. And there are certainly great places where it says that that are absolutely wonderful. But there, there is a basic principle in hermeneutics, which is the study of the Bible, that you don't apply it where you got to be careful to apply a passage where it is meant to be applied. And if you're going to make a leap, then you probably should say that instead of being like an aha moment. Um, maybe I'm being a little pet peevish here. Now, I mean, this is like a pet peeve of mine as a pastor. When I hear pastors do this, it annoys me. Okay, it's a pet peeve. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. But when they take a passage 
that is obviously in another completely different setting and written to someone else and saying something completely different. And they apply it to everyone who's out there because of a passage in the New Testament. It's just one of the, and there's a basic um, Bible study principle, it's hermeneutics, right? Studying the Bible that says that you don't apply a passage, only apply a passage where it's meant to be applied. Now, does that mean we can't learn something from it? Does that mean there's not a way that we could talk about that? I think we could. I just think it's uh, a little bit of a dangerous thing to be applying passages when they're out of, um, when they're not to be applied. I can tell you, Jari, too, that the pastor um, of the church that I went to at the time, which was a Foursquare church, was not a real good teacher. So he was more of a of a rah-rah guy, you know, kind of fire you up. And, and he even admitted, I'm not a good teacher. And I think if he probably spent more time preparing, he would have been better, it, it really, I believe. Um, but he wasn't a really good teacher. And when I left there and went to Calvary Albuquerque, and I remember when me and my wife, she taught, she taught fifth grade. I was working with the junior high and she was working with the fifth graders. We were in our early twenties, married for just a few years, a couple of years. And we left that church, that Foursquare church. And I remember walking into Calvary, Albuquerque, went to go visit it because someone was tired of me complaining about the way tongues were used in the church. And so they said, why don't you go to Calvary? There's one here. And I went and when I walked in and heard Skip teaching, it was like a breath of fresh air for me because it was, it was, rightly dividing the word of God, which is something that I had seen really abused and misused um, in the church that I was attending. That's not saying that's happening where you're going, Jari, and I'm not discouraging you from being involved in Pentecostal church. I think it's great. You should love where you're going. I think you could probably point out problems with any church, including the church that I pastor. I'm not saying you have to, okay? But I'm saying you could point out problems. And um, if it's a major problem, I certainly want to hear it even though I don't want to hear it. I still want to hear it. All right. So um, we have a question from Marie, and this is a Facebook question. So first one I've seen today. So we know somewhere out there in Facebook land, um, the messages are being sent back to me. Um, so Maria says, I just accepted the Lord as my savior. When can I begin in the Bible or, or uh, where can I begin in the Bible to start reading every night and every morning? Well, first of all, Maria, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Welcome to following Jesus. You are now a disciple. You are now a follower of Jesus. How absolutely exciting. We live in a different time than Peter, James, and John did when Jesus said, follow me, and they got up and followed him, but yet being a Christian is following him. And I love that you're asking this question about where to begin to read the Bible. When I became a Christian at 14 years old, I started reading the Bible in Matthew and made my way through. And there were problems I ran into, but you're probably gonna get problems anywhere you go. But we usually tell new believers now to start in the book of John. And here's the reason, because John says, these things were written that you would believe. So as a new believer, reading these very basics that are there um, and believing, John is a great book to do that with. So that would be a great place to start it. And uh, once you get done with that, I could give you another book to read after you get done with that. All right, um, but um, welcome and dive in. Uh, and um, I'm just really excited for you. I'm excited that you have made that commitment to him. And the book of John is a great book. Uh, take your time reading it. Uh, really try to get an understanding about what you're reading. Let things sink in. You're gonna get that from the very beginning of chapter one, verse one. Take time to read it slowly, let it sink in. It's not about how many chapters you get done. It's how you've been spoken to by God as you make your way through. Read it prayerfully. Read it with a pencil in your hand. If you have a paper, paper Bible in front of you with a highlighter in your hand, if you're going to use um, a, a, a Bible on your phone to do that, then learn how the highlight feature works and start going through it. Um, I use version. I think it's the best version to use. You can do the New King James in version. You can do NIV, ESV, Whatever church you attend, whatever Bible that pastor uses is the one that you should probably um, put up on your, your device. But learn the, and, and highlight the things that are there. Um, you could use the highlight feature in a few ways. If you have questions about something, you could highlight it with a light blue. If you really, God really speaks to you, you could use highlight in yellow. If it's something that you gotta ask somebody about, you could highlight in a light orange. So you could use the different colors to help you kind of go through it and hopefully eventually get everything into that yellow category. 
All right. So welcome to the family of God and may the Lord bless you, Maria. May you find yourself walking really close with Jesus. May you be on fire for him and may he do a great work in your life as um, you have now committed yourself to him. Congratulations. And I, I'm sure everybody else here feels the same way. What an absolute great thing that you have done and uh, heaven rejoices and we love to see it when we see people coming to Christ. All right, so thank you uh, very much. I appreciate that. And um, again, good to see all of you guys here as we come near the end. We've got about five minutes left. Uh, if we have any more questions, uh, then I'll take it. If we don't, then I will. Well, we have another question, so we'll just take this. Um, all right, so Sean uh, says, can you uh, clarify salvation versus discipleship? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let me go ahead and pull this up for you and put it up on the screen. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for we are saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me see what 10 says. Um, Ephesians, let me go ahead and get there. Where'd that Ephesians go? Great Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, we'll start there. And so we're looking for a clarification uh, for, for Sean uh, between Christian, being a Christian, being saved, and being a disciple. And so um, here, uh, Ephesians 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, great section of scripture there, Sean. I appreciate that. And um, the, the real answer is, is that you are a follower of Christ. And as a Christian, you are a disciple. We are told in the Great Commission, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Matthew 28, I'm going to get there. I'm going to pull that up for you here, Sean. Uh, Matthew 28, we have the Great Commission. Let me see if I can get to that. No, I'm good. I'm not, uh, I'm not killing you guys by going through this. Um, all right, so here we have the Great Commission. This is the very end of the book of Matthew. And uh, Jesus brings uh, all of his disciples together, and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So we are to go out and make disciples. And, uh, Sean, and so I would say the difference between someone who is saved and not a disciple would be someone who hasn't really understood it yet, maybe someone who's not learning, walking with him, wanting to know more, learning more. Every Christian should be a disciple. And unless there is a, a problem, then we should all be disciples. We're all following him. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. We're going out and making disciples for him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've, you've gotten saved, then you are a disciple. It would be like saying, what would be the difference between Peter being a disciple and not being a disciple? He was following Jesus. So he could, would have left him and not followed him. So disciples follow him, want to do what he says. Do I think there are people who are genuinely saved who don't want to do what he says? I don't know about that. Because the Bible says, if you, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So as we are wanting to do what he says, and I love that people try to add in what they think his commandments are. It simply means doing what Jesus said. So, um, yeah, I think that that's, I think we, we are all disciples and we are to make disciples. If we're getting people saved and they're not becoming disciples, then there's a problem. All right. So thank you very much, Sean, for, uh, for your question. And, um, uh, just, uh, just a minute or so left here. Uh, yeah. Good to see you guys. Uh, congratulating Maria. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, um, I attend your church. So you attend Calvary Tucson. Is that right? Uh, I hope so. I mean, if you don't, I, that's great wherever you attend. But if that's what you're saying, um, I really pre I, I'm excited about that. All right. And, I, and I'd love to meet you. I'd love to have you come up and say hi. All right. Um, so with all of that said, um, who is allowed to baptize another Christian? I'm going to ask answers Amanda's question really quick, and then I'm going to wrap it up. 
All right. If you have any more questions, you can still write them down. I'll get this chat log from Keith a little bit later on, and I'll look at them for a first question in a future Q and A. Um, who is allowed to baptize in the Bible? There were a lot of different men who baptized. Uh, it was almost always men who did it, and some people may say that a, a woman isn't allowed to baptize, but it's any solid believer. And I don't have any reason why a woman would not be, be allowed to baptize a son um, uh, or you know a neighbor or someone that she's been ministering to and brought to the Lord. Uh, any genuine believer can baptize another genuine believer. And um, I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but maybe this, you know what? This may be the question that we have for Saturday, Amanda. So I can kind of take time and come back and really dive into what this question is and entails. In fact, I think I'm gonna do that because I love this question and I wanna be able to spend more time on it, all right? So we will pick it up a little bit later on, all right? So the Lord bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus, study his word, endeavor to find out what it means, not what you want it to say, but what it really means and then live it. Jesus said, blessed are you if you hear God's word and you obey it. So I'm really looking forward to God blessing you as you endeavor to follow after him, hear his word and obey it. All right, so I'm out. I've got a service here in an hour. We are in the book of Revelation. We're in chapter six. We're gonna be opening up the fifth and sixth seal tonight. It's the martyrs and the martyrs of the tribulation, and it is the um, cosmic uh, destruction that takes place in the beginning of the tribulation period. So we'll be talking about that this evening. Services in about an hour. Love to have you um, jump on and join us or actually come out to one of our campuses. So we have two campuses, six o'clock at the East Campus, 715 at the West Campus. All right, I love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, great questions. And I'll see you guys uh, for another Q&A, Lord willing, uh, this coming up Saturday. All right, I am out. God bless you.